Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 202 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I'm not going to give too much of an introduction today to Elizabeth, but I do want to tell you that you are just going to love her. I really felt like I found a kindred spirit when talking with Elizabeth. We had a very cool way of getting connected, which we go into at the beginning, and She's just done some really amazing things since her daughter Delia Grace died at only nine weeks of age. So I just know that you will get so much out of listening to Elizabeth. Sit back and enjoy Elizabeth, Delia Grace's mom. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I'm excited too. Yeah. We were put together by a previous listener and uh, someone who runs a really wonderful organization that I've been telling all sorts of people about that have been emailing me lately. So that's Martha and the Just Enduring organization. So that's a little plug for Martha and Just Enduring. But thank you for bringing us together because I'm really looking forward to talking to Elizabeth because you've done some pretty cool things. Well, why don't you tell start out by just telling us about your little girl? My little girl who passed away, her name is Delia Grace Aberay. This is a picture of her for those who are watching. Oh, love that. And if you're not watching and just listening, no, go to the website. The website has all the pictures on it. So she will get me a picture. And you can also see some of those pictures on social media too. Yes. So mm-hmm. Delia Grace, I had a difficult pregnancy with her. And after she was born, they did some different treatments and we thought everything was fine. And then she ended up dying of really unknown causes, but she had some type of cardiopulmonary event bleeding from the lungs and she died at nine weeks and six days old. So why don't you tell us about her a little bit? Was she your first pregnancy? No, she was my fourth child and my first girl. When I was pregnant with our first child, the names were either going to be Michael Lewis or if it was a girl, Delia Grace. So I had to wait Mm -hmm. till the fourth child for Delia Grace. And we picked that name because Delia was my grandmother's, my paternal grandmother's middle name. And Grace was just my favorite word, my favorite name. So it had to be Delia Grace. It always had to be her. And she was beautiful. She was sweet and cuddly. She smelled like cookies. She was a a really big baby. She was born um, nine pounds, eight ounces. She was my biggest baby. So she was covered in rolls and just sweet. She was very, you know, had a great temperament. She was always with me. And um, she really didn't cry that much. But when she would fuss, I would hear sort of like this rattling in her chest And I would hold her upright. She was comfortable upright and did some other, you know, things to help her. And when I took her to the doctor, they said she had a cold and they don't really do anything for little babies with a cold. And it turned out she had, you know, something going on with her lungs. So how old were your boys when she was born? When she was born, they were five, three and two. So all little. Yeah, all they were all little. They they remember her. My two-year-old doesn't really remember her so much from when she was alive, but they remember her by pictures and videos and yeah. things like that. Sure. So it was it was really hard on them. And it still oh, is. I'm sure. And then I had two more children after Delia died. 
Violet was, so Delia had a cardiac arrest on January 17th, 2016, and Violet was born on January 17th, 2017. Wow. So she was really, you know, sent. I think her sister had a lot to do with that. And they're very connected. And actually, my, my daughter, Violet, is the one that has the hardest time with her grief. Really? Um, yes. She she misses her sister terribly. She, you know, will have like breakdowns and kind of like anxiety, panic attacks, just crying for her. And it's interesting because she will, you know, scream like, I want my sister. I need my sister. I need her to be here. It's It's not enough to wait for heaven or to look at that. We, when we see butterflies, we say, Oh, Delia sent a butterfly. And um, she's like, that's not enough. Sometimes it makes her happy when she sees a butterfly. Sometimes it makes her really upset. So she begs me all the time to give her a baby, a sister that is here with her, you know, physically. And then Mm -hmm. I had another little boy, his name's Adam. So he is, um, four, and I don't think he really understands much about Delia Grace, but we uh, had a miscarriage with our seventh child that the kids named Moonlight. So he more talks about missing Moonlight because that was going to be his little sibling. And, um, you know, I don't know if we'll have any more kids or getting kind of old. <laughs> I'm 42 and my <laughs> husband's 46, but my daughter begs me all the time. She's like, I just want a sister that's alive. I'm like, well, oh, that just breaks your heart, doesn't it? You no, know, we can still be connected to her and we can still do things for her and with her. And, you know, she's still always a part of our family. Mm-hmm. We pray for her every day and talk about her as much as we can. Yeah, it's good to try to keep those memories going, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to think about them being forgotten. Do you want to talk a little bit about what happened with Delia Grace? Maybe a little bit. Uh, That's really hard. Yeah, I'm sure. My husband is a physician, and it was actually Mm -hmm. the first time I had taken her to mass because she just hadn't been old enough to be around people. And it was January. I was worried about, you know, just like germs and stuff. Yeah, getting RSV or something. Yeah, but she was supposed to start getting her her vaccines on Tuesday, and it was Sunday. So it was like two days before. So I thought it would be okay to take her to church. And we went to Mass, and then afterwards, we went to meet my husband for lunch. And after sitting down at the table, I, I had been nursing her while I was walking into the restaurant Mm -hmm. and I looked down to check on her and there was um, blood coming out of her nose and her mouth. And Oh my word. I started screaming and there just happened to be several like doctors eating there that day, like people we didn't know. And they started doing CPR. CPR. They had told us afterwards that it it, it was like she was vomiting blood. Her, her lungs were so full of blood and it just took too long to get her to the hospital. I think it was like from the time 911 was first called to when her heart was restarted, it was 56 minutes. Oh my goodness. So she suffered anoxic brain injury and she lived for one week and then we took her off of the life support. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because it sounds very strange to say, but she she died in my arms twice, you know, and um, oh. I have a lot of trauma myself yeah. from yeah. everything that happened, but I would still choose her. You know, I'd still yeah. want her to be my little girl. And there's a lot of pain afterwards with trying to just like rethink every step of her life, every step of my pregnancy, every step of my life, like what could I have done differently where she didn't die? Yeah. And then also thinking about the pressure in the hospital to take her off of the life support. Like, is that mm. something that I really wanted or was that something that I felt like I didn't really have a choice, you know, because mm-hmm. my brain didn't really work. Like from the moment in the hot, in the, in the restaurant, it was like a tunnel yeah. went around me. Everything just went really black and dark and it was really confusing. 
And I didn't really like I'm an intelligent person. I, I have a doctorate, but nothing really made sense for a really long time. And my brain just couldn't really yeah. process things because it was just too full of too many things going on. So I, I actually had really, really bad grief sickness afterwards where mm-hmm. I had uh, hundreds of like open scabs all over my body. I lost like my toenails, my fingernails, my my eyelashes, a lot of my hair, and just felt like I was dying. It was very, very strange. But then talking to other people afterwards, I found out that it's not as uncommon. Because I just kept asking, like, am I dying? You know, I just couldn't. But I think it was just everything was so overwhelming that my body almost like was shutting shutting itself down. Yeah, it's unbelievable the physical effects that grief can have on your body. Nobody expects that at all. No, no, no. I mean, obviously, we never went through this, so we don't didn't know no. anything. It took me a couple years before I could really like talk to people again. When I would go places and people would ask me questions, it just sounded like like I couldn't process it. So other people, like my kids or whoever was with me, would answer for me because I I couldn't figure it out. And I always loved singing. And then that was strange too. I couldn't sing anymore. When I would try to sing, I would just cry. It was just so emotional. And then once I did start singing again, my voice came back like different, like better, like like more soulful or something. So now I just sing as much as I can. Wow. But it, that, wow. it took a couple years. And now I can talk. I can do most things. I don't think people understand how hard it is for people who have lost their child or gone through something traumatic to just do normal things. Yeah. And a lot of times I feel like I'm giving everybody else so much grace all the time. And where's the grace for me? Mm-hmm. Cause it is hard to do normal things. I told people yeah. before when they're like, you know, what is it like? It's like, well, you don't really want to know what it's like, but <laughs> If if I had to put it in words, it's like being on fire, but the flames are invisible and I'm trying to walk through the world and do all the normal things everybody else is doing while fighting, you know, this internal pain that doesn't go away. Yeah, you're right. It's just so, so hard. Yeah, it is. And you, you figure out ways like my sister used to say to me, like, fake it till you make it. And so that's what I would just try to do and try to have kind of like rote responses to things. Mm -hmm. Remember, people would ask me like, how are you? But I didn't want to say like horrible, terrible. I've never been worse. You know, so I would just say, how are you? Like I would never really answer Mm -hmm. their questions. Instead, I would just ask them the same question back. Or, you know, if they would say, how was your weekend? Or did you have fun? And uh, this same lady used to always ask me if I had a fun weekend at school pickup. I tried not to talk to anybody for a long time, but I finally was just like, you know, I don't have fun. I just, I don't, it's not, it's not I'm just being real with you. There is no fun. <laughs> I'm not yeah. capable of it. But, and it was, just, you know, I, I'm sure very shocking and strange and uncomfortable for her, but it's like, that's the truth at that point in life is there is no fun. It's funny because when people would ask us to, how are you doing? I remember my husband's response always was getting by. Yeah. Because he was like, he didn't want to say anything else because we weren't good. Um, but we, we, he didn't want to say bad because nobody really, when they were really asking that question, they didn't really want to know. Just mm-hmm. like you're like, do you have fun this weekend? They didn't really want to know about your super fun weekend. It was just like something to say. And so it was in the operating room or something like, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? It, if you say getting by, then if they really do want to know how you're doing, then they will ask a follow-up question if they really care. Otherwise, they'll just let it go. Mm-hmm. You know? And you see so many people too, like one of the, the groups of people that I really try to re- reach out to, to educate them, for lack of a better word, is the medical community. Because yeah. we found like so much of the pain we endured was from the medical community because you expect these people deal with a lot of people who have died. And so they should know like 
what to say, what not to say, but they really don't. And there's no, there's a real, like, it's almost like they're trained to lack empathy and just say the craziest things. Like one of my husband's a doctor at his work asked him when he, he was off work for maybe like three or four weeks. He had to go back to work because he doesn't make any money if he doesn't work and we have a large family. And the first week he was back, he'd have a mix of like some people would see him and literally like turn around and walk away. Yeah. Like they couldn't even be near right. him. Like he was like. Because they don't even know what to say. Diseased. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have that happen sometimes Like too. it's catchy or something. Right. Like you could catch it and your kid could die. Like I had friends later who even told me like they avoided me for a long time just because it was yeah. too hard for them. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, sorry. I ruined your day with my daughter dying. <laughs> But my husband had this one doctor who came up to him and he asked him how he was doing. And I think my husband said something like your husband, like, well, we're getting by. And the guy said, kids die every day in Africa. How is that helpful? Right. How is that a helpful statement? Yeah. And then my husband told me he was like so angry. He didn't say anything. But when he got home, he's like, can you believe he said that to me? And I was like, well, yeah, because they have they're clueless. They don't get it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then another guy came up to him and he was like, I heard your wife is doing better. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, we're not sick. This doesn't go away. We're not fighting an illness. Our kid died. And as long as you will love your living child, we'll love our child that died. You know, and yeah. we have more things to worry about than what you like think. Like, we have to worry about our other kids. Like everything yeah. just went into our other kids and you know, now seven years out, like I can have fun now and I can enjoy things. And I have learned to live with this strange and unnatural dichotomy of happiness and sadness coexisting that most yeah. people don't get. And, you know, everybody's looking mm-hmm. at you after your kid dies for like, how are they going to react? How are they going to behave? Especially as a Christian, mm-hmm you know, people wanting you to be strong. And I've seen in particular someone that's close to me, who's a minister, whose child died. I I have not ever understood his reaction to it. Like almost like nothing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah, I don't think that helps people. No. And, and not to judge him because you shouldn't judge other people who are grieving, but I don't really think that that helps people to, to go because I know Jesus, I don't feel pain. That really isn't real. And I, I did have someone in my neighborhood, maybe a year or two after she died, I had just gotten home from church. And and he told me that in his religion, with Jesus, I wouldn't have pain. Like, basically, like, if I became what his religion was. And I, and I said, well, I'm very close to Jesus. I have a very intimate relationship with Jesus. And I still feel pain. And guess what? So did Jesus Christ. Yes. Jesus Christ felt pain. Not one person is immune from pain and not your faith alone doesn't take away your pain, but your faith to me, for me, has helped me to walk through it. Does that make yeah. sense? It makes perfect sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me. I know that I can get through the really hard moments because what I've already been through, so I am not... I, I have learned coping skills through therapy. Lots of, I mean, I'm still in therapy. I probably will be my whole life. The, I learned yeah. the coping skills through therapy, but having that faith and, and that connection with God and, and with Mary in a different way of like, they lost their child and I lost mine. And now yeah. we have this faith connection lets me know I'm not alone in this. You know, even, mm-hmm. even, even God cried. Right. So. I know. I know. I'm, I'm with you. And I just feel like, I, I almost feel sorry for people that have faith like that, that thinks that everything will be all beautiful and rosy if they have their faith in Jesus, that life will be perfect and they'll never be sad. Because that's not real life. It's not real. And like, if you think that and tragedy happens, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to your faith, but I feel like it's not going to last, right? I don't, 
I don't understand how they can get through tragedy then. I don't understand either. Because it will happen. And and I don't want to say I don't want to judge other people's yeah. faith or grief at, at all. No, I don't either. I just don't get it. I don't know. I also how. don't understand it. It and and people, if you really, really look into where where do you, where do you become a, a person of growth, a person of depth? Where do you become closest to your creator is in the suffering. In the suffering yeah. is where we grow as people. In the suffering is where we become enlightened in so many ways. Like you and I can understand people in a totally different way that we wouldn't be able to if not for our suffering. You know, and and the same mm-hmm. thing, we can relate and understand the words of God, or I feel like, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like I can understand differently what God is saying because I'm just relating to him in a different way. And my suffering has dropped. I I was always very, very faithful. And that was one of the things in the hospital that I didn't understand and kept saying to my husband, why would God choose us for this? Like, like we love Jesus. Like we, there's nothing's going to break us. It can't be some kind of test. You know what I'm saying? Like we are extremely faithful people and, and such good parents and like love our kids so much and take such good care of them. And I just could not understand like why we were chosen for this. And, and, and I still can't understand it. And I, and I never will. And I'm okay with that at that, at this point. I have to just trust God that he knows what's best for me and he know he only wants good for me and I'll, I'll never be okay with it. I'll never go like, thank you God for all things. Even my daughter's death, like anything good that we have done from it, any way we've helped other people or Mm -hmm. supported other people or helped educate the medical community, like all of that, I would give back for my daughter as as you know, yep. horrible as that may sound, I would take her back in a heartbeat and let someone else do the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always like to say, you know, some of the things that I've been doing too, because I've been trying to educate the medical community too. And, and I don't like to say I'm doing this because Andy died, but I like to say I'm trying to do these things in spite of the fact that Andy died. So like, Andy died and that's horrible, but I'm trying to make some good come from it anyway and not be like, well, you know, you're doing this because because Andy died. I just and and I had someone on a few months ago that really voiced it in such a great way because she said all of this is happening because her son or now I can say Andy because Andy lived. Mm -hmm. Right. All this happened because. Delia Grace lived. Amen. And you're able to do this. And not because she died. I love to celebrate like every single day of her life. So each year from when, from her date of birth into her date of death, I'll share things on our like Facebook, forever our angel is our foundation. And I'll share things on our Mm -hmm. Facebook page for each day of her life. And also ask people to celebrate their life and their loved ones. And so I'll pick out like particular things that happen on that day or that time of her life and just celebrate that. And I call it nine weeks, three days. And, um, you know, each each day of her life was a celebration, no matter how how no matter how short it was or how long it was. But, yeah, I try to celebrate every day of her life so we can remind each other like, no, all life is precious you know, and yeah, I did have a distant friend who passed away, an adult friend um, a few years ago, and she was having lucid intervals at the end and had said yeah. that she had seen heaven and that every person had like a scroll and some of the scrolls were mm-hmm. short and they were handwritten by God and some were short and some were long and hers, hers what hers was hers was about done that you know she was about at the end of her yeah. scroll and i i like to think about that and that no matter how long your scroll is god hand took the time to to hand write every every detail and 
to know that, you know, we're all connected in this big picture that he's written with us. And it's so big. And just like I said earlier, like, I don't, I don't question God anymore. It's not even a thing that I think I'll ask him when I die, because it's just too big for me. I don't need to understand. I just need to know that he wants, he wants good for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's just, I just love everything you've been saying. It's just resonates so much with me. I'm so glad. So when you talked about trying to kind of educate the medical community, I want to talk about your husband a little bit. What kind of doctor is he? He is internal medicine. Okay, mm-hmm. internal medicine. Because, you know, my husband is also a doctor, so we're both. We're both. I'm a pediatrician, and he's an okay. anesthesiologist. So so we kind of are in that community as well. Internal medicine, that's, yeah, they don't deal with kids, really. No, he he's an adult doctor, but he does have to deal with death a lot, and um, he doesn't yeah. like me to speak for him, so I want to make sure I choose my words wisely. But I think that he handles situations where someone has died much differently now from my perspective yeah. than before. Not to say that he was bad at it before, but I do think that nope. that there is this trained uh lack of empathy like even if you naturally are empathetic they're gonna suck it out of you in medical school because they don't want you to be affected and i noticed that even with me you know with his dealing i'm very naturally empathetic and he was very not so like when someone in my family died i would just be like what is wrong with you (laughs) Like, how can you not understand? Like, you should be sad because I'm sad. So I do think that he handles it a lot from my perspective, different, better now, because he can relate to people more. And I just want to say to doctors, like, it's okay for you to say, say, I understand that this is very hard for you. I understand that this is very sad for you. You know, like, it's okay for you to say that and not just like put a smile on as my kid just took their last breath. And when my husband and I were having a moment and saying like, Oh, she opened her eyes at the end. Like when she took her last breath, her eyes opened and she hadn't opened her eyes in like six days. And so we were, we were saying, um, I think she saw the light of of heaven and she, and she went to it because that's what I kept telling her at the end. Like, it's okay. You don't have to stay here for us. If you see Jesus, run to him. You know, that's where you're going. And, yeah. and I'm going to be there too. You know, there's, you know, you, I yeah. believe you lack for nothing in heaven. So I'm already there with her because baby, because that was one thing I grappled with a lot was how can my baby be okay in heaven without her mommy? You know, and yeah. another lost mom said, Oh, no, honey, you are there. There's no time there. And, And to know that like she got there and she met Jesus and then she saw mommy was right there, you know, like you, you you want for nothing in heaven. So of course I'm there, right. That makes so much sense. So it was, you know, sending her there, seeing that light of heaven was so joyful to us. And then the doctor came in and with a big smile on his face said, yeah, we don't know why the brain does that. It's like, oh, okay, well, how about you just like smash the little bit of faith that we were using to to help ourselves through this? Like, even if you don't believe anything that we're saying, be quiet. Yeah, just keep your mouth shut then. You, you, You don't need to say that. Like, that is what I'm. When I speak to um, students, mostly, you know, like doctors, no offense to doctors, mm-hmm. but they don't really want to hear that much about like how they could be better. But students yeah. <laughs> are still learning yeah. and still going, I don't know everything. And to all you doctors, if I just offended you. I'm sorry. If you if you do want to yeah, learn more a- and be better, let me know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But students are just more open to like, there's things I don't know yet. I can say to them, try not to make it worse. That's really your goal. Try not to make it worse. Try not to say things that make it worse. This is already going to be the worst thing that this person is ever going to go through, hopefully, like in their whole life. So just try not to make it worse. You know, be really intentional with the things that you say. Yeah. If you don't know what to say, just be quiet. And listen, right? Because 
and sit with them or something, right? Yes. Like that is one of my, because I have PTSD. One of my triggers is not being heard because no, I just felt like nobody was listening to me and I didn't understand what was going on. And you know, that lack of being heard really affects me. It, It hits my fight or flight like that. Yeah. You know, listen and help people understand. And if there seems to be something where, you know, you're trying to convey a thought as a doctor and they don't, they, they're not picking up on it. It's because their brain doesn't work. So give them a second. They're they have no prior medical knowledge. Assume everybody is an idiot that they don't know anything that you're talking about and talk to them in a way until that they understand, like get verbal feedback from them that they know what's going on and they get what you're saying. Cause I kept asking, is she Uh going to die? I didn't even understand for days that she was going to die. Because nobody was saying that to me. Because nobody wants to say it. That's the thing, too, that that I want to say on top of what you've said is don't assume that they know. Because that's a big thing is that doctors are like, of course. I mean, I've, I've told this story on the podcast before. My mom was in the hospital dying of cancer. Everybody knew that she was dying of cancer except our family and my mm-hmm. mom. And so I'm there with her by myself. I'm, you know, 21 years old and junior in college. My family's off because we're trying to move. They're trying to move and they wanted to move all of my mom's stuff so that she could go to the apartment when she got out of the hospital instead of going back to the house. And the nurses called me out of the room and said, um, said, we don't think you should be here by yourself. Your mom could die at any moment. And I just looked at them. My mom's dying? And they had this look of shock on their face because no one had told us she was dying. No Mm. one had told us. And then I go back in the room by myself and I'm crying. And my mom looks at me and says, I'm dying, aren't I? And I had to tell her because no doctor or nurse was brave enough to tell us. And they all just assumed we knew. They all assumed somebody else had told us that, that we're dying. And so that's with you. Like you kept asking that question. No one really wanted to answer it, thinking somebody else is going to tell you that she's dying and she's not going to make it. And no one mm-hmm. does because they're uncomfortable. They don't mm-hmm. want to say it. But that's just not OK. No. It's not OK. You have to be OK in the dark mm-hmm. place. It's a really dark thing to have to say to someone, your mom is dying. Your baby's dying. They're not going to leave the hospital. But somebody's got to be brave enough to do it because we as the family can't see it, right? I couldn't imagine a world where my mom was dead. None of us could. I'm so sorry. So we thought she was going to live. You couldn't imagine a world where she Mm -hmm. died. So in your mind, she's like, okay, she's going to get better. I mean, I remember looking, turning around, looking at the paramedics doing CPR on Andy, and I turned back and looked at Eric, and I said, is he going to be okay? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, he's got to be okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And my husband even said yes, although he'd done CPR on him for 15, 20 minutes and he clearly wasn't going to be Mm -hmm. okay. Right. He clearly wasn't. But yet you just can't wrap your head around Mm -hmm. it. So you've got to just be be big and strong enough to talk Mm -hmm. to someone and explain it. As, and and to try to learn and understand that like when people are in that kind of situation, our brains don't work. Even even as a doctor, my husband's brain did not work. He was not computing the things that they were saying because he's not a doctor in that moment. He's a dad whose child is dying. Like our brains don't work. Review things. If there's questions, if there's stuff that we're saying that doesn't make sense with what you think, especially like ours was there was some confusion to put it lightly about the, the manner in which she died, like what the, somehow the report said that she was found um, unconscious in a swing. Oh, which wasn't true at all. No, no. And then there wasn't, you know, it, it, it was just so many things weren't right, but we don't know what's in any of the medical records. We don't know what information is being passed between the doctors. The only doctor who really knew what happened to her, who interviewed us, was the doctor who was there when we arrived, right? Like our very first doctor. And then he left. 
And then somehow the information was not conveyed properly to the next doctor who was with us for the next several days. And so just, it was very, it was very, very bizarre. And, and we didn't find out about any of this till way after, like till we got the autopsy and stuff. And then that delayed grief because then for a year we're trying to figure out her cause of death and sending her um, all of her paperwork to different forensic child forensic pathologists around the country to try to figure out what happened to our baby because their yeah. their um, you know cause of death was not correct and these other forensic pathologists said that she had. She had coronavirus. Now this is before COVID-19. So we did not know yeah, anything so. about it. We knew she had coronavirus when we were in the hospital because they tested her for RSV and other things. And they said she had coronavirus. And we're like, I don't understand what that is. I never heard of it. But I guess for a baby in the winter, I I did research it on, on it afterwards um, and contacted the CDC. And they were, gave me the numbers of about like, how many children in the U S in that age group have died from it. So these other doctors had related her coronavirus to causing this pulmonary hemorrhage in her lungs that all this was like building up inside of her. So it was a lot of work that we had to do and a lot of expense to try to get to know what really happened to our kid and also because I'm like, do we need to get testing on all of our other kids? Because right. when we right. were in the hospital, they're like, okay, well, she has a problem with her heart. Her One of her valves moves in both directions. And she has a problem with this. And she okay. has a, you know what I mean? Like, there was all this stuff that we didn't know was wrong with our baby. Right. And then my brain goes to, what about my other kids? Are my other kids going to die? Right. Like, do they need to get of course. EKGs? Do they need to get their, you know, hearts checked. Like I went into this, they could all die now, right? Because you never think that it's right. real that your kid could die. So then once until one does, it is real that your kid could die, then it becomes real. They could all die. Right. You know, and then my like, I, I had a family member, I don't want to say who it was, but I had a family member who was like, you know, everybody else is gonna be fine. Like this happened, but everybody else is gonna be fine. I'm like, you don't know that. You don't know that, no. you know, or people saying no, like, we just decided that we're just going to try to go back to how it was before, you know, like just try not to hold on to it. And I'm like, well, before I had a baby. Yeah, right. Before I had a baby. So I can't go back to how it was before. Like I, there is no going back to how it was before, before I had a baby here. Like it just, I, I really think that there are certain brains that this is too painful for them, especially male brains. The males were the ones who were more like, just forget it. And, yeah. I just don't get how you're, how you can't just be okay. Yeah. Where I, it, it really causes a lot of pain within families too. Cause it's usually family who's like, all right, we're, we're better. We're ready for you to be better. And I'm like, there's no better. Yeah. There just isn't. Yeah. I have learned and gr- and grown and learned how to cope and I'm not like suicidal anymore. You know, I'm not begging my husband to kill me, which, you know, that's a real thing. Yeah. The pain just at points was too great. You know? Yeah. You just don't think. No. You and I, I have and still struggle with my kids live in two different places. Yep. One is in heaven and the others are here. And I know in my logical mind, I have to stay here for these other kids. I have to be here to take care of them and help them through their life. Their life would be worse if I was not here, you know, and the pain in my heart would just multiply into all of theirs. I know in my logical mind, all of that, but there is still a part of me who just wants to be with my child who lives somewhere else. You know, that it is, it is like, it rips at me and it makes things so hard. And I learned through like this speaker um, uh, several years ago now. And she said, uh, there's so much time in between. There's so much time in between here and heaven, right? So much time in between here. And and when we get home, what are you going to fill your time with? 
What are you going to fill it with? And like, be really intentional about what you're going to fill it with. And so that's what I've been doing is like filling my time with everything for my kids, for my church, for our foundation, just fill it up every day. Like there's not a thing that someone could come and say, can you help with this? That I will say, no, I'm going to be your yes person. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how I can, how I can help you, what I can do. You will very rarely hear a no from me. Like it would take effort for me to bring myself to, to give you a no, because I'm going to do everything I can to give you a yes. And if more people lived like that, their lives would be so much fuller and so much more abundant. And that when people ask me, I don't know how you do it all. Well, you just have to prioritize it, right? You just have to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Time is just like a block. Like my husband is always like, oh, I have no free time. And I said, well, that's not real. Free time is not real. There's just time that you dedicate to different things. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole bunch of blocks. So if something's important enough to you, then you will figure out how to find the time to exercise or to be the Cub Scout leader or the soccer coach or lead the mom's group at the church or be in the choir or, you know, write a book. You figure it out if yeah. it's important enough to you and fill the time till we get home because tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow I could be gone. And I want to know for my, that I want my kids to know that mommy filled every moment for them. For every moment for like bring, helping them, we, we say raising little saints, trying to help them to to, to get to heaven, to, for us all to be home together. Like that's our, that's our goal. It's not, it's not, it's not earthly. Like my goal in life is to go home to heaven for my, and my for my whole family to be there, you know? Uh, so just, I'm just trying to fill that time with whatever I can to, to, to fulfill that. And, and mm -hmm. if not for Delia's life, I wouldn't be living the way I am now. I think I'd still be a good mom, but I wouldn't have taken the time to, to, to read all these books, to attend these different, you know, conferences and grief groups and, you know, to learn about what it is in suffering that can make me a better human being. And I'm not saying everybody has to suffer like this to be a great human being, but I would like for people to listen to us because yes, because we have learned a lot of compassion, haven't we? And we have a wealth of knowledge that but for our experience, we would not have been able to attain. So, you know, I don't want anybody to suffer. Every time someone joins this community, my heart breaks for them. You know, I fall apart inside. I'm like, dang, like, I don't want you to be here. But if you're here, I want you to know that you have me. You know, you don't have to do this alone because the feel the loneliness is terrible. You know, the feeling like nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. Everybody thinks I'm weird. Yeah. Like if one more damn person tells me that I am weird, I just might <laughs> crack. Like, thank you for the announcement. I, I know it. And if you experience the, the things that I've experienced, you'd probably be a little weird. You'd be weird too. Because guess what? My brain broke. Seven years ago, my brain broke. It cracked into a million tiny pieces. And I've been working really hard ever since to try to put it back together. And it's different now. So maybe instead of saying weird, just say, your brain works different. And I can acknowledge that and be like, okay, that's, yes, it does. It does. But it's... <laughs> In many ways, it's better even, right? I mean. Yeah, I, I, I think that too, because what is it? I, I'm going to misphrase it, but, you know, um, God breaks us so he can put us back together the way he intended us to be. Well, tell us about your organization. I want to hear all about it. Okay, so Forever Our Angel is a foundation that supports people who have suffered the death of a child, mm -hmm. and it could be their sibling, uh, young children, I, I've helped people who, you know, have miscarriage, stillbirth, all the way to adult, adult children. And then we also try to educate healthcare professionals. 
Um, I have written a book that is for young children, you know, as little as, you know, one and two year olds can benefit from it. It's called Hugs for You, Kisses for You. And it helps kids to stay connected with those that they're separated from, either by death or other circumstances. It's a beautiful looking board book for those of you that can't see it. It's really well illustrated and it looks lovely. It's it's a thick board book, so even the littlest hands can turn the pages. And the the main character in the book, he relates to the um, separation from his sister. There is a, a puppy dog and his grandfather. So it's different people that you can be separated from. And I want people to understand that little kids grieve people that they're separated from, not just by death. So... It's a child who is no longer able to live with one of their parents. If they have moved far away from friends, there's lots of ways that kids are dealing with loss and grief that maybe we don't understand because we're, we're big people. So this is a great book to help them to learn ways that they can stay connected to those people. They can say a prayer, they can write a letter, they can bring them a flower, um, just they can share a smile and a hug and that other person can feel that. And then that we also have little book buddies that are great. They can be great therapy dolls for play therapy or just somebody to cuddle. And even a friend of mine gave this to their 18-month-old and she loved it because she could look and enjoy the picture. She could read by the pictures and play with her little doll and talk about the person that she had lost on her age level. And my oldest child is 12 and he still gets a kick out of the book, but probably a little bit just because mommy wrote it. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's available on our website, foreverangel.com. Bless you. And also on Amazon. I haven't got the kinks out on Amazon to figure out how to, to make it like a combination. Oh, with the doll? Mm-hmm. Amazon is very difficult for me. <laughs> so, well, hopefully by the time this is released, that will those kinks will be out. Our our website is a great place to order from too. And and I think you probably get better prices on the website. So foreverangel.com. And then there's also different ways that you can help other people who are grieving or help yourself. You can request to have books sent to you or books sent to a friend. This isn't the only book we have. I kind of look at um, if the person has kids, if they don't have kids, if, you know, like if it was their first loss or not, if it was a miscarriage yeah. or an older child, and then I'll select um, a book or two books that are for that person. So other books that we have oh, okay. sent are um, Holding On to Hope. So you send books to people? Yes. So if you ask for books, then you get books. This, this is the only book that we sell on the website. And that is just to continue the work of our foundation. It basically, the money sure. just goes right back into the foundation to help more families and to order more different kinds of books. But no, we send books to anybody that is, is grieving a child or a sibling. They can get them for themselves or you can ask for them for other people. So Holding On to Hope is one. Wow. 30 days, I think it's about 30 days of child loss. There's uh, Streams in the Desert, which is a great daily devotional that helped us a lot. And that is really more about general suffering. Um, But I think it's a wonderful Mm -hmm. book. Someone, one of our nurses gave it to us in the hospital and it helped us so much. And And what was very interesting about that was, when I was a baby, I had failure to thrive and mm-hmm. they had a hard time diagnosing what was wrong with me. And it ended up being a partial cleft palate. So the top of my mouth was split in half and they did not notice that. So I wasn't able to eat when they thought death was imminent. A priest from our church came to our home and the book that they gave to my mother was streams in the desert. Wow. And that is the same book that our nurse gave us, like her personal copy of when Delia was dying. Oh, my. So Dreams in the Desert is a book that I think was very helpful for us. And if you're suffering from any kind of grief, loss, I highly recommend that book. It's just a daily devotional. And it it was one of those things like I'd open it to that day and it would say exactly what I needed to 
to hear on that day. Um, but we, we have several. Well, and sometimes I think those can be better than trying to read a full yeah. book. Because I know for me, I had a lot of trouble concentrating mm-hmm. to be able yes. to read a book. Like people gave us tons yes. of books and I still have a stack of books that mm-hmm. I have not read, but it just was too difficult. Yeah. For me I, to I had a much easier time with the daily like devotionals that. and then holding on yeah. to hope was highly recommended by another lost mom yeah. and Nancy Guthrie is local. Mm-hmm. And then we also went to her grief retreat and on our website, there are links and descriptions of several different organizations that help you. Just Enduring is on there. Just Enduring is yeah. great for those who don't know about it to find other parents to kind of like partner with who can understand you mm-hmm. based upon, um, you know, the manner of death or other categories. Yeah, they do a they do a great job of that. I recommend that to lots of people. Yes, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like mentoring. Yeah, when you feel really, really alone. Yes, and I had wanted to set that up or work. I'm on the bereavement committee at Vanderbilt Children's. And then I thought, you know what? They, they have this going on. They know what they're doing. So instead yeah. of like recreating the will, I'm going to just... Pu- keep pointing people to them. Yeah. And they're out of St. Louis, but it, yes. it doesn't matter. Like, you can live I, anywhere. People, I, I sent someone there today and yes. I don't even know where they're from. Actually, she didn't even tell me where she was from, but like, it doesn't matter. Right. Cause we can all talk to each other. The, the people that I was benefited from the most um, after Delia died were people I did not know that I spoke to on the phone mm-hmm. that were connected from other people, because then you can be yourself. You don't feel like you're being judged. And you also don't feel like they are telling you the things that you want to hear. Your loved ones will tell you a million times, you know, like, it's not your fault. You're going to be okay. You, You know, all this stuff. And there was part of me that's like, everybody is lying to me. Right. You don't believe them at all. Yeah. So I needed to talk to people that didn't love me. Right. They understood because of what they had gone through and they could be real and they could tell me things like, it's not going to get better. It's going to get different. Yeah. You know, like use real words that I could go, okay, I can understand that because there were words that made me so angry. Peace made me angry. Um, Acceptance made me angry. Hope made me angry. Like somebody who did not experience this suffering made up all those words. Yeah. They just made them up. I just, I got very angry when people said, you're so strong. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah, no. That made me so mad. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm falling apart. And when you're telling me I'm strong, it makes me feel worse somehow. Because now that you think I'm okay, and I'm really not. Yes. I just need you to know that I'm not okay. Either you're so strong or be strong. And I'm like, no. And I actually have like a, a, I have a, a TikTok where I have some videos, like just talking to people about, things to try to help them through. Um, Cause I'm on, I'm on pretty much all the social media platforms, but I have one about being strong and how that feels. And, and just saying to people, if you hear nothing else I say today, you don't have to be strong. You don't need yeah. to be strong. You need to feel all the things that grief is so that you can get to a better place. If you do not feel all the things and walk through this, you are not going to get to that better place. So putting on your coat of I'm going to be strong does not help you long term. You will break from this. Yeah, it will. And all the people who say be strong or you're so strong, stop saying that. Don't (laughs) say it anymore. It's not helpful. You're not helping your friend by saying that. So just stop. What you should say to them is feel it all. I'm here for you. I love you. This sucks. Yes. It sucks. Like when people, when my good friends would be real to me and they would say to me, like, I hate that this happened to you. You're a wonderful mom and this sucks. I would be like, thank you so much. Like, thank you for like seeing me. Cause this sucks, you know. Yeah. And and a whole lot of other curse words that we're not going to say today, but a lot of <laughs> yes. curse words. a lot of yeah. curse words. Um, but go to the website foreverourangel.com. There's all kinds of resources on there. You can find 
information about respite retreat, the Dougie Center, which is for teenagers, Smile Again Ministries, which is a, a place that you can take your whole family for a retreat and where you can request books for yourself or a friend or a loved one, or you can order books and book buddies to help our foundation, but also to help little kids. And you can even order our books in bulk at a discounted mm-hmm. price to donate to hospitals or other organizations. There's an organization that uh, we work with that helps people who are dying of cancer. And, you know, little kids die of cancer too. I hate to tell you, yeah. it's super sad. Hate it for their parents. God bless you if you're a cancer parent. I'm so sorry that you have to you know, go through that, but you can get books and people order them in bulk for hospitals and different charity organizations. And we do all of that at a, at a greatly discounted price. And then we'll send a letter with it that says it's from you. And, you know, hopefully we can get these into a lot of children's hospitals, hospice providers, especially those who provide hospice for our young children, because we need that. We need um, the siblings, like my kids, this is a really cute story. When I first wrote this book, I put it down with a bunch of other children's books. And my daughter, who was, I think, four at the time, she just picked, she just noticed it. She picked it up and she started flipping through the pages and asking me all these questions about it. She was really getting into it. She couldn't read the words, but she was reading the pictures. And then at the end, she turned and there's a picture of her sister on the back. And she said, and Delia Grace is in this book. And I said, well, <laughs> mommy wrote this book. And she was so, she was so delighted. And I was so happy to see her with no prompting walk through what the characters were doing and saying, oh, his little sister died. And she could connect with that. Yeah. And it was just really beautiful because I was like, okay, this book is doing what I intended. It's giving children a way that they can talk about their feelings, but also relate it to someone else who has experienced something similar. And it opens the door for them to be able to talk about things because just like, you know, I struggle with feeling like I'm not heard. Little kids need to be listened to, listen to them. You know, mm-hmm. that's what they need when they're suffering. And you might not even know that they're suffering until you give them the door to say, yes. it's okay to talk. Don't assume they're not. Don't assume they're not suffering. No, and lost moms and dads, but I obviously talk to more more moms because we're just more open like that. But lost dads, talk to each other, please. The the lost moms, we don't always know that somebody else has gone through this. But as soon as we crack the door to let them know what we've experienced, it's like the other person can take a deep breath. Yeah, They uh, they can exhale. They can go, oh, I can talk about this too. Mm -hmm. You know? It's, mm-hmm. it's like we, we have this weird sort of relationship that nobody else even knows exists until we're there. And we're like, oh, you, I see you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's a beautiful gift in it that we can be there for each other. Well, I love that. I love what you're doing. I am so happy that we got to speak and am really looking forward to seeing what all you're doing because it is pretty amazing thank you I can't wait to get some of these books myself I love it Yay! all right well I'm happy to send them out to you email me all righty well thank you again if anybody has any questions or if you want me to come speak to your group or your students my email elizabeth.aberay at live.com Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful or would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom 
is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.